Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, the dwelling place of God, is among men. And he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right. For these words are faithful and true. Trust me, Jesus says, heaven is real. Heaven is real. A description of that place called heaven is contained in these words in verses 3 and 4 in the 21st chapter of the book of the Revelation. And, and here's, here's how these words and these words that describe this place Here's how they sound so good. Or here is who they sound good to. It's somebody who has been close to death. Who has had to watch death. Who has known the struggle of life versus death. It's somebody who's known mourning, sadness, sorrow. Somebody who has known crying. Now when the New Testament will speak of these words in a verbal form, it's got the I-N-G on the end of it, not just to mourn, but mourning, or not just to cry but crying, it speaks of the ongoing presence, almost the habitual state of reality presence of the circumstance described in the verb. Mourning that has just gone on for a while, crying that won't quit, crying that's 
that's there, the lump in your throat that's there. It doesn't come out all the time with tears in your eyes, but it's, it's there. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The word for pain comes from the word that's translated evil or pain or suffering. It comes from a Greek word that means labor, toilsome labor. It has been translated in this way, labor that puts such a high demand on the strength of man that it exhausts all the resources of a man or woman's strength. It's labor that puts a high demand on the person's resources of strength. Pain. Exhausting, debilitating, draining pain. I know that pain's just kind of a dark, but let me, let me quickly say this. The subject of heaven doesn't mean a thing to somebody who's not having to struggle with life down here. If you've got plenty of money and you've got good health, if there's not anybody really wanting to take you out, you, you could, the thought could be, this is heaven. I'm living heaven. I, I don't, don't want to go to another place called heaven because it's good right here and bless you. Happy for you. I hope that lasts for a while longer. But the truth of the matter is that if we live long enough in this life, I'm in here by myself, you know. If we live long enough in this life, sooner or later, there's going to be some category that comes in such a way to our hearts that it pains us, meaning it exhausts the reserves of strength that we have. It may be a physical suffering, a medical issue, but it could be a relational issue a with somebody, some person that just, it doesn't quit draining you and you have to get yourself up day after day after day to just deal with the situation. That's pain. But what if there is a place where there is no more pain? What if there is a place where it's not just there's no more of that kind of draining but there is the absence of the source that drains you. It can't come from anywhere because it's been dealt with. What if there really is a place where there is no more death? There is no fear of a midnight phone call or there is no fear of, the, of, of an ambulance coming to your door or... or you're getting notice that someone you care about has been suddenly, tragically taken. What, 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 if, what if there was a place where there is no more disease? 
What if there is a place where there is no more murder, there is no more crime, there is, there is no more death? Well, if you haven't been touched by death, a place like that may not really do that much for you. But I believe I'm looking into the faces of some folks who have known what it is to plumb the depths of death. And you haven't been the one taken, you've been the one left. The good news from the scripture is that there really needs to be no no worry and no no sympathy and no no hoping that they're going to be okay for the ones who have gone on. The, the, the real struggle is for ones who are of us who are left here and we're missing the ones whose presence and companionship and voices and kindnesses are taken from us. There is a place where the dwelling of God is among men and women. There is a place where he doesn't send an angel to do it. He doesn't send a prophet to do it. But he himself comes to the one who's weeping and he wipes away the tears. Some way, somehow, he knows what's breaking the heart of his children. He knows what sorrows them. He knows what causes them to cry. He knows what causes them to mourn. And he feels it. He's not the father that some may have had, that it was just all about, well, what are you crying for? Suck it up. It's just life. You're going to be a baby all your life? What if there really is your real father? who understands a broken heart, who understands what it is to be locked into a situation that you can't get out of quickly, that doesn't leave you, and it results in mourning. It results in pain. Folks, I want to say this to you, and I hope you'll let it in, and I hope it'll come rushing in like an ice cold breeze on a hot day in South Texas. Here is the truth. Jesus came to take us home. Jesus came to take us home. And home is not your street address in San Antonio if you receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Home is not Texas as much as we're proud to be Texans. Home is not America, though we're glad, glad to be born here and live here. The scripture would say we are in this life for less than the snap of a finger compared to eternity. Compared to the rest of our existence, it's just, it's just the short, quick blink of an eye. That we're passing through down here. This isn't our everlasting home. There is a home. And Jesus would call it my father's house. My father's house. My father's house. Have you ever met somebody? And you just liked them so much that you just wanted to take them home with you. 
What if it was a family member? What if it was an estranged family member? You recognize Ken. You recognize that somehow they were a part of your family, but for whatever reason, they've been estranged from you and from the family. And then something rose up in your heart. I want you to come home with me. Because if you come home with me, it's not going to be like what you're afraid that it would be. There'll be folks glad to see you. There'll be folks who have been missing you. There's even been a preparation going on for your return. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was what? Now, you can't lose something unless it has had originally been found. I came looking for the sheep. I came looking for the children who are part of my father's family, a part of my family, but they're lost for right now. But I've come to find them because I want to take them home. I want to take Jesus came to take us Sin got in the way. Our choices get in the way. Our stupidity gets in the way. Our stubbornness gets in the way. We think that the whole world revolves around us. We think we've got to live our lives for ourselves, and we drive our, 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 our lives right into a brick wall or drive it off a cliff, and then we realize that it can't all be about me. And somehow we find ourselves crying that cry that Bartimaeus cried, maybe not using his exact words, but the blind beggar in Jericho, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That cry some way, somehow goes up. And then somehow, some way we hear from heaven those, those two words in a way that we could get it in, in the corridor of our listening that that makes sense to us where he just says trust me trust me trust me trust me Jesus I will take you home the the, the youngest of all the apostles more than likely John John the beloved spent more time on the subject of heaven than probably any other New Testament writer. He's the one who recorded the book of the Revelation. He's also the one who recorded the Gospel of John and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. I want you to go to the Gospel of John for a moment, if you would. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. He would say, and John would say in, in, in the book of 1 John, don't turn there, I'm just referencing it. He would say, these things I've written so that you may know that you have everlasting life, that you have eternal life. I'm writing these things down so you can look at them and read them and know they came from God and their truth so that you may know that heaven is your home. Folks, all this business, well, I hope so. I'm trying hard. I hope so. Better lose that. 
I mean, you, you gotta, there is a way to get to Dallas, Texas. There may be a series of ways to get there, but, but you, you will make choices on the way. You, you, will, you will pick a route and you'll go. And you'll eventually end up in Dallas, Texas. The remarkable thing about this place called heaven is that there's only one way to get there. They're not 45 different choices. It's not sitting in San Antonio trying hard, imagining yourself in Dallas and trying hard and thinking, I'm going to get there, I'm going to get there, and you never take a step. So here is John 14. Jesus says to his disciples, to the ones closest to him, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. And then he says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places or many places to live. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And verse 6, he says, I am the way. Definite article. It's in the original language. It's in the manuscript. It's right there. Not I am a way. Not I am one of the ways. I am the way. I am the truth. Truth about the way. Truth about heaven. Truth about how you get to heaven. I am the truth. And I am the life. When he uses that word life, he's not talking about just biological life or just social life. The word he uses includes those, biological functioning, social interaction. But when he uses the word zoe, it means the kind of life that involves your spirit coming to life. The, the, the part of you that can know God, the part of you that can receive God's interaction with you, he's giving you the ability to hear. He's giving the ability to love him back and to obey him and to believe him. I'm the life. I'm the source of that kind of life. I'm the way. And then he says, nobody gets to the Father's house except by way of me. He's not saying that to be mean. He's saying that to be helpful. It doesn't do you any good to try 40 different options to try to get from Bear County to heaven. When Jesus has said, there's one way. It's not for perfect people. It's not just for smart people and educated people and wealthy people or whoever or just poor people. But it is for whoever will put their trust in me. And I'll see to it that they get to my father's house. Now, folks, listen. 
any way you cut it. That's one of the several reasons why the message of the church, the true church, is needle narrow. The Lord loves sinners of all kinds of sinners. He came to seek and to save that what was lost. Yes. And we have permission to engage our culture and to relate to ones and to have friendships. But the message, the message when it comes down to it, how do you get set free from sin? How do you get from San Antonio or wherever you may live to the Father's house? It's exceedingly narrow. Otherwise, Jesus' death was the greatest waste of humanity in the history of the universe. The only innocent man to have ever lived, the one who came because he was sent from a heart of love from heaven to take the sins of the world and his body on the tree to die for our sins, that, that was all about his love for us. But it cost him everything. Stripped naked, beaten beyond recognition, hung on two pieces of wood, bled to death, suffocated. For what? So he could take you home with him. That which would keep us from entering the Father's house is the sins that all of us are guilty of. For all have sinned, all have sinned, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it was in Jesus, knowing you and knowing me, that his heart of love reached out. I'll take your sins. I'll take your death give you forgiveness and give you freedom and take your home to your father's house. My father's house are many places to live. When we stand in the presence of someone who has been taken in death, and the body remains. And we ask ourselves, and as a family, we ponder these things, and as friends, we, we want to know where do they go? Where are they? We see the body. But that which caused the twinkle in their eye and the sense of humor and the smile and the, who they were, the personality, where'd that go? We're created in the image of God. And there's a part of humans that will live somewhere forever. Somewhere. And Jesus is saying, I've come so that you could live forever in the presence of my Father. He would say, Paul would say, for the Christian, for the one who has put his trust, her trust in Jesus, leading up to the point of death, whenever that comes, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We close our eyes in death. 
and we open our eyes to one face. He will say, in my Father's house are many dwelling places where I want to I go to prepare a place for you, folks. He rules out that heaven is just another dimension or just another state of mind. It's place. I go to prepare a place. I go to prepare a place for you. It's the word we get topography from, topos. It means place. Place like the Alamo. Place like the Tower of America. Place like your street address. A place like the city of Jerusalem. A place like the Sea of Galilee. A place like Mount Carmel. A place like Mount Sinai. I go to prepare a place for you. So where did they go? They went to a place. A real, vivid, actual literal place. I'll go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Now what is very important in this, one of the things, is that we can spend sometimes as, as, as interested believers, interested Christians, in getting so caught up in trying to figure out what about the second coming of Christ? And when is that going to happen? And the prophecies and the scripture references, Old and New Testament, about the second coming of the Lord. And it's a, it's a worthwhile study. And, and it, it causes us to, to put, our, put our hope on, on the heavens and our, our trust in the Lord that one day he will come. But every generation of Christian, since these words were first written, has been looking for the second coming of Christ in that sense, and it hasn't happened yet, has it? So what does that mean? Are we supposed to necessarily live every day expecting that the Lord may come? Now, Paul would say that. He would say, I'm expecting him to come at any time. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. 1 John 3 will say it. There's a purifying hope that works within us when we're hoping for the Lord's return. And in some ways, it seems like he's speaking of the, the bigger sense of his return. Prophecies fulfilled, Jesus coming out of heaven to sit on the throne of his father David in Jerusalem, and, and, and on and on and on. But what if it doesn't happen that way? i tell you, I don't believe there's one child of God who had read those verses and others about the second coming of Christ, but who went into death without experiencing the second coming of Christ, who entered heaven disappointed. You know why? Because he did come. He did come. He came 
just as he said he would. And he took them unto himself. At that moment, at that spot in time when this, when this body could no longer hold the soul and the spirit of a child of God, Jesus came. He came to a street address. He came to an ER. He came to a spot on a highway. He came to wherever it happened, but he came. And he gathered that one unto himself so that where he was, that one would be too. A place. A place. Now listen. Turn over a chapter or so. John chapter 17. Spoken of Christ's high priestly prayer. He's, these are some of the last words he spoke before he went to the cross. Verse 22, John 17, verse 22. And the glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Speaking of those who were believing in him, those of the disciples then, but also to all of us who have believed as a result of their witness across the centuries. The glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me and didst love them even as thou didst love me. And then look at verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou didst love me before the foundation of the world. I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory. Jesus wants you to be with him in that place called the Father's house. He desires you. He wants you. <laughs> he realizes that we don't see everything clearly. We're looking through a through a glass darkly, dimly. It's, the images are fuzzy and not clear. We have to walk by faith and not by sight. He wants the day to come when everything we have said we trusted him for and believed him for, we can see it. He wants us to see his face. He wants us to hear his voice. He wants us to know his touch. Find 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Let me just start reading. I've got it marked. 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, 
Now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. But speaking of a transformation that's going to take place when we leave this life, when we leave this body, and we see him face to face, we're going to recognize him because some way or another, we're like him. What does that mean? Luke chapter 24. I want you to find this one. Luke chapter 24. So what was Jesus like when he came forth from the grave? What kind of body did he have? Luke 24, verse 36, this is the next section of accounts of the post-resurrection appearance of Jesus following the road to Emmaus when the two disciples were walking along, and they didn't realize it, but Jesus came and walked along with them, and they said, began to open the scriptures, and as he did that, he opened their minds, and they were hearing things and understanding that they had never gotten before from the scripture because the exalted Christ was teaching them. And they invited him to come in and have dinner with them and stay with them. And he wouldn't stay, but he did have communion or the Lord's Supper with them. And it is, it is thought that at the moment that he ex extended his hands to give to them the bread and his sleeve pulled up, that they saw the places where his wrists had been pierced and he vanished from their sight. And they came back, as you can imagine, lit, trying to find the leadership in Jerusalem and the apostles. And so here they are in verse 36. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you, had anything, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. We shall know him because we shall be like him. We see a crippled, famished, ravished by disease body. No strength to get up and pass from this life. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. But look what's happened. Suddenly that body, body 
original body put in the grave, but some way or another, there is another body. That in the meantime, before the resurrection, there is the ability to recognize those who have gone on before us. And it's not like trying to figure out a ghost or a spirit. Jesus would say, spirit doesn't have bones and flesh, but the thing about this, this kind of bone and flesh, the doors were locked and the windows were closed and he didn't need a key and he didn't crawl through the window and he didn't dig a hole through the roof. He just showed up. And he wasn't weak. And he wasn't wounded. And he wasn't drained of blood. Strong. Alive. Full of life. We haven't lost them. We know where they are. But I believe the scripture would give to us great indication we'll recognize them. It won't be a hazy, mysterious kind of persona. Jesus would say, look, look at my body. I have bones, I have flesh. Give me something to eat. That's one of the things that can keep a family awake with tears at night. Are they okay? Yes. Will we be able to recognize them again when we get together? They knew it was Jesus. There were physical representations, physical image. They knew it was him. But they were so full of joy and amazement, and they knew they had seen him die. Okay, They had seen him die. They had watched him be buried. And now someone who looks like him, sounds like him, chewed fish like him, was standing there in their presence. Folks, listen. When all hell is breaking loose down here, remember Remember who you're trusting in and what he's promised to do. In my father's house, there are many places to live. Great big house. Lots and lots of places to live for lots and lots of the father's children. And then he says... I will come again and receive you, receive you, take you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. I remember hearing my mother tell the story of the night of her mother's death in Jackson, Mississippi. My maternal grandmother, she loved the Lord, knew the Lord, walked with the Lord, served the Lord, had a struggle of a life in certain areas of her life. And she was in her 50s, I believe. 
And she went to bed with a bad headache, I would call them, just had a bad headache. In the middle of the night, the lady in whose house she was staying, and there may have been even in staying in the same room, but some way or another, the lady who was staying with my grandmother told this story. She said, all of a sudden, out of a complete sleep, evidently, Martha, my grandmother, sat straight up out of bed and looked toward the ceiling and reached out her hand and then she fell back on the pillow and she was gone. She was gone. Well, who was she reaching out to meet? Jesus said, I will come for you so that where I am, there you may be also. We're, we're, the writer of the Hebrews said, we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. All these men and women of faith described in, in Hebrews chapter 11, still alive, engaged, aware, and it's in the picture is a stadium. And they're looking at us, they're watching us, and in the sense is cheering us on encouraging us. We can't hear them necessarily. But we read that passage and it makes us wonder. The one who showed you the way to Jesus who's now in heaven. The one who's meant something to you in your life and you saw what they went through. You saw the challenges they faced but somehow they made it. Somehow they kept trusting and just the memory of knowing they're not a tombstone. We're not, we're not just looking at memories and memorabilia that somebody wrote. It. The scripture doesn't speak of a Christian dying. The scripture says they fall asleep to be wakened up. So all those who have ever meant anything to us who fell asleep in Jesus are more alive this moment more well this moment, more engaged with reality this moment, more aware of what the truth is than they've ever been. I'll just leave you this passage one more time. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, what if there are some tears that have been caused because of the idiot I made out of myself. What if there are some tears that are being shed because of wrongs done or because of things not done or because of things done to it? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to the father who's glad to have his child home. He will wipe away every tear. In their eyes.
And there shall no longer be any death. Nobody will ever die in the Father's house. There's no cancer. There's no heart disease. No death. And there shall no longer be any mourning. Now, I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know how he's going to do that. But he's God and we're not. Some way or another, the, the things within families, the breakups of families. The, how's he going to cause that not to be a source of sorrow? How's he going to end the mourning? The grieving over the things that have devastated us down here. How's he going to do it? Some way, somehow, because he is the Father. He's going to bring an end to your mourning. He will heal your broken heart. And there'll be no crying. And there'll be no pain. I just keep coming back to that, that, that word for pain, ponos. It means labor. It means the things that can wear us out, the things that can drain us dry from emotional, physical, social strength. God calls that. He sees that as pain, as that which pains us. And Jesus would say in Matthew 11, and heaven, the Father's house, is the ultimate expression of this. Come to me, all who are what? Weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Father's house, a place called heaven. Heaven, again, you know, I, I don't expect this to cause everybody to just be thrilled to death with the content of this message today, and that's probably because things are going pretty good for you right now, and that's good. Enjoy it. Just, just file this somewhere. Just, just, just file those verses. Because Jesus has said in this world, you're going to have tribulation. So in a related world, this world's going to stress you. But you be of good cheer, he says, because I have overcome the world. And the ultimate expression of the overcoming of the world is that the world couldn't keep him in the grave. The devil and even our sin couldn't keep him in the grave. But he conquered all of that. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan. He conquered this world. I've overcome it. I've overcome it. Seated at the right hand of the Father. So, so you be of good cheer. You let this cheer you up. You let this put a song back in your sad heart. I've overcome the world. And I've come to take you home to my Father's house. When the time comes, when the time comes, when the time comes. Finished the early service, and a couple of our prayer partners were standing over here, and one of them said to me, Pastor, I appreciate that message. I'm just not ready to go right now. <laughs> I'm not ready to go exactly right now. I understand that. I get that. There's no bus loading up out here to make a short trip to heaven. But when the time comes, the second coming of Jesus may be, could happen at any time, yes, but if it doesn't, doesn't mean he's still not coming.
coming for you. Lord, this is, this is way more than we can digest and assimilate in just a few minutes. But somehow, Lord, I ask you to take the parts of this that contain your word and your heart and your delight in us and your desire for the future, our whole future eternity to be with you. Somehow, Lord, let that wrap around our hearts and encourage us and hold us steady and keep us from feeling like we've got to let the cement of this world harden around our feet and keep us tied to the here and now. Lord, may we be, may we do what is right in your sight. May we, may we work the work of our hands in a way that calls folks to look to you and honor you. But Lord, help us to never forget it, that we're just passing through, that this is not our final home. You're getting our final home ready and prepared, and it is waiting for us when our time comes. In Jesus' name, amen.